Uh, open your copy of God's Word to Third John, please. A little letter of Third John. If you're new to the Bible, you can go to the to the end, which is Revelation, then just page back to the left a little bit. Two books, and you'll find Third John. It's been a few weeks since we were here, and so let's uh, refresh our memory. Listen as I read this letter. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Here we are reminded again of the challenge to be balanced followers of Christ who love God and love his truth. In John's gospel, we read this description of Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's goal for us who know Christ, God's goal for us who follow Christ is to become like Christ. He is the perfect embodiment of love and truth, and so that is the work of sanctification that God is doing in us through his word. Romans 8 says it this way, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then Paul defines what that good is. God is working all things in our lives toward a good, a good end. What is that good end? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is working in us to conform us to be more like 
Christ. That is a work of sanctification that will not be complete until we see Jesus face to face. If you are honest with yourself, if you look into the word of God and you compare the word of God to yourself, then you know that there's still a long way to go between who you are, who I am now, and who I'm going to one day be, just like Christ. So we are to grow in this beautiful balance, or to do as Titus 2.10 says, to walk in love and truth so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, so that we would live in such a way that we adorn the doctrine of God. That is, we make the gospel look beautiful to a world that hates it, that we make the truth of God look beautiful and that we make the love of God attractive. This call to walk in both truth and love is important for every follower of Jesus Christ. But it is especially important for churches and church leaders whom God will hold to a stricter judgment. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. A man is moved into the ministry of God by the call of God. That is what then sustains him. If you just want to be in charge, just want to be a teacher for a teacher's sake, beware. You are going to stand before God and give a greater accountability to him than those who are not teachers. So may God grant us to walk, uh, the strength to walk in grace and truth. My heart broke a couple weeks ago when I read the news report of a church only 10 minutes east of this church that hosted a drag queen story hour for children. This was not a public library in California or Colorado or New York. This was a church in rural Ohio. A church that claims to be Christian. A church that belongs to a denomination that has the name Christ in it. Led by a man who also claims to be a Christian. And yet walks in open defiance of God's word and God's good and perfect will. My heart broke because of the level of self-deception required for this to take root in a person's heart, a pastor's heart. And my heart broke because children are always, always the casualties in the reckless abandon and rebellion of adults. In the beginning, God created man, male, and female. That is how he created us. But not long after sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, gender and sexual perversions of various kinds manifested themselves as fruit of man's corrupt and sinful nature and deviance from God's good and perfect will. This departure from God's law abounded in the early chapters of the Bible. 
including homosexuality, transvestitism, bestiality, and many more. All demonstrations of the rebellion of men and women against the plan of a good and wise creator. At one point, God's assessment of humanity was so grievous that the only solution was to destroy the earth and start over. And he did this by sending a worldwide flood. But floating in this vast, muddy ocean of death and judgment was salvation, an ark through which God saved one family of sinners. And this ark then became an image of hope, an image of redemption. So much so that the Apostle Peter actually uses it in one of his letters to picture God's rescue of sinners through the work of Jesus Christ. The ark being a picture of Christ. The ark being made out of wood, just as the cross of Calvary. So the hope of new life, forgiveness, and redemption is the key message of the Bible. That is the red thread that runs through Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end in the last verse of Revelation. God sent his only son into the world to save sinners of all varieties. And Jesus did this by dying in our place. He did this by assuming our position of a rebellious sinner, though he wasn't one. And he met God's justice by paying the required punishment. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead to show that his work was complete. It was finished upon that cross. And now the risen Savior offers life to any sinner and any kind of sinner who will turn to him. No kind of sinner is exempt from God's offer of salvation and a new life in Christ. If you're here today as a Christian and you think that some people are beyond the reach of God's grace, that God doesn't save those kinds of people, you are wrong. And you need to look in the mirror and see just how sinful you are. And you must come to the understanding that if it were not for the grace of God, you would be that person. So let us not, in our defense of the truth, become arrogant and think that we are somehow above certain kinds of sin. For we are all knit out of the same fallen fabric as Adam and Eve. The gospel has the power to save and change people from the inside out. Over and over, that is the message of Scripture and the hope that we find especially in the New Testament. Just one example is found in 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to these words. Paul writing to the church of Corinth, which was filled with trouble. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there. The next verse, he says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. That was the description of your life before you came to repentant faith and humility and brokenness before the Savior who offers to save any and every kind of sinner. Such were some of you, Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This congregation is evidence that God delights to save all kinds of sinners, sinners of every variety. And if you think, perhaps you're new this morning, and you think that everyone sitting in these mauve or burgundy or whatever they are, chairs, is perfectly holy and righteous and always has been, you haven't even begun to know the kinds of pasts that some of us have been saved out of. No clue. God delights to save any and every kind of sinner if we will come to Jesus in brokenness and faith. He gives us new life when we turn to Jesus Christ in repentant faith. And we live in a culture in which the foundations have just been completely obliterated and our society is running anywhere and everywhere trying to find hope and they think that they will find it by running away from God's word, away from God's truth, instead of to God. And so if you're here this morning and you are struggling with some of these things. You are struggling with same-sex desires. You are struggling with gender confusion. You are struggling with pornography. You are struggling with, with stealing, patterns of lying, escapism in all kinds of forms where every time something gets tough, you run to something that is your favorite little God, little G, to find your refuge let me say to you, there is only one refuge. There's only one refuge that will ever satisfy you, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, come to him today. Lay down your arms. Stop fighting against him and see him as this compassionate, holy Savior who offers forgiveness, salvation, new life to any and every kind of sinner. No one in this church is above anyone else. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all must come to God the same way. 
So please understand this, that God delights to save sinners. And this salvation, this conversion, this new heart results in a new life, which works itself out in a new walk, walking in the truth and love of Christ. Not one or the other, but both truth and love. Now, walking in truth and love requires that we be courageous enough to tell fellow sinners what God thinks about their sin while at the same time giving them the hope of Christ. Always holding out the hope of forgiveness and freedom from sin in Christ. He is both truth and love. And that really, therein lies a problem among many Christians today. They lack courage to speak the truth or they lack compassion to speak God's truth in a gracious and hope-filled manner. And so we need help from God so that we will grow in both. That essentially is the call of 2 John and 3 John, and, and we've been hearing this for a number of weeks. For example, in 2 John, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And then two verses later, many deceivers have gone into the wor- out into the world. Do not abide by their teaching. So this twin emphasis of truth and love brings us to this morning's big idea, which is this. Followers of Christ are called to imitate good, not evil to walk in the truth God revealed in his word. There's a movement within professing Christianity today that is proud of calling itself progressive Christianity, which changes God in order to appeal to all people. It's a distorted view of love. It's a God is love and therefore we should love and that means that we should not Uh, say anything or do anything that might call out another person's sin. But that actually isn't love. Because think of it, parents. If your four-year-old was walking out into the street and you knew, because you could hear it coming, that there was a truck coming, would you just stand there and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, or, did you, or would you run out into that street and grab your four-year-old and pull them into safety? See, biblical love operates within the sphere of truth. We've seen that over and over again. So as we wrap up the three letters of John this morning, we see the same emphasis, but John says it a little differently. Look at verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now, we saw earlier in the book that John commended this man named Gaius because of his love. He was walking in truth and love. Then he rebuked a man by the name of Diotrephes, who was the first church bully and didn't function in love and didn't submit himself to truth. Well, now John introduces us to a third man. His name is Demetrius. 
Notice how he's described. Demetrius, verse 12, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So from John's description, here is a man who is walking in both truth and love. And we can learn so much from this very brief description of this man and John's closing Remarks, But there are two main lessons this morning, results of walking in the truth. Number one, walking in the truth will cause you to receive a good testimony. This is what happened to Demetrius. He has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. So not only were people saying this guy's life is exemplary, I see Jesus in him, but the truth itself testifies for this man that he is walking according to the truth. That scripture affirms his own testimony. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5 for a moment. I want you to see that this is not the first time that we are commanded to imitate God. Ephesians chapter 5 Uh, Pick it up in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. The word therefore takes us back to chapter 4, which is all about putting off our sin and putting on Christ. That is, Paul's point is, if you are saved, then you are a new person in Christ, and therefore God is changing you from the inside out. And therefore, you should be sinning less and acting like Christ more. And so he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So walk in love. But quickly, he says, also walk in truth because they go hand in hand. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." So in other words, those those things that Paul just described, that's a part of your previous life before you met Christ. Stop walking in those ways. You are free in Christ. Walk in that freedom. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So don't take sin lightly. This is the very reason that God will judge. And don't become partakers with them. There's a movement within Christianity that says, well, if we love people, then we will become like them. That is not true love. If you want to love people, then become more like Christ. That is the way you will love them. Do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It's another way of saying walk in the truth. For the truth, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then he sums it up. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. If we really love people, then we will speak the truth to them. This is especially important in church leaders, that of having a good testimony. Titus 2 says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Paul was writing that to Titus, but he was saying, Titus, this is how you need to disciple all the people in your church. And then Paul says to Timothy that a good testimony, even among unbelievers, is actually a requirement for church leaders. He says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, that is, he can't be newly saved, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the con- condemnation of the devil. And then he says in verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So church leaders must be men who are striving to walk in both truth and love, so much so that even their opponents have nothing evil to say about them. Well, they might still hate their guts, and they might still oppose them, but they can't say anything actually evil about them because of their character, because of their testimony. That's the first result of walking in the truth. You will receive a good testimony from fellow Christians as well as unbelievers who interact with you and observe your life. There's a second result. Walking in the truth will cause Christian fellowship to flourish. Go back to 3 John and look at those last three verses in this gracious letter. As we read John's closing remarks, we can feel Christian love abounding. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Just this morning in the foyer before church, one of our members pulled me aside and said, Paul, I just want to thank you and the elders that during COVID, you kept in-person ministry going and kept talking about the months that we spent out on the back lawn having outdoor services. Because there's something about in-person fellowship that cannot be replaced. No screen can replace that. No, no internet <laughs> um, church can ever replace that. Hey, it's convenient at times. I've got a wife and sick, some sick kids at home. We're watching online today while the others are serving in Sunday school. It's convenient at times, but it ought not to be the habit of our lives. There's nothing, nothing that can replace in-person fellowship and worship of God's people. And so John says, 
I really want to talk to you face to face. I'll write a letter if I have to, but I'd rather see you in person. John speaks then in verse 15 of friends in the Lord. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Again, as I mentioned, the apostles didn't make friends with everybody, (laughs) but they had a good testimony. They were known for who they loved. They were known for what they loved. And there were those who opposed them. For example, Paul writes on his deathbed, he says, do your best to come to me soon for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me. In another letter, he says, everybody has abandoned me except for Timothy. But if you know Christ and are walking in the truth, then you will want to be in close fellowship with others who are committed to walking according to the word of God. The so-called unity that so many people are screaming for today is a false unity. It is a superficial unity that has no foundation. Instead, it is built on man's fickle opinions. And that's why once people move from the latest hot topic to the next hot topic of social justice, they're going to have to find a whole new set of friends because there's no foundation of unity. The foundation of unity is God's word. True Christian friends are bound by a love that grows in the soil of truth. Remember that. That's one of the big lessons of these three letters, one, two, three, John, is that biblical truth is the foundation of biblical unity. Biblical truth is the foundation for biblical love. And may God grant us the strength to grow. Father, thank you for your love, your patience with us. We thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ who saves any and all kinds of sinners. Many of us here this morning, Lord, we don't look back upon our past with a whole lot of pleasure. There's a lot of regret because there was a lot of sin But you so graciously intervened in our lives. You intruded into our hearts by your grace. And you showed us how much we needed Jesus. God, I pray that we would never lose sight of that. That you would give us hearts that are equally committed to biblical truth and the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ. And may the world know that we love a Savior who is not only loving, but he is holy. And he calls us to a new life, to be washed, to be sanctified, and to walk in both truth and love. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.